0: Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. is a self-proclaimed Renaissance woman. She's as home with canvas and paintbrush as she is with hammer and nail. She's as comfortable with pen and paper as she is with needle and thread. Today, we're going to be talking about how she is also a Renaissance woman across multiple genres of writing. 25 years ago, she wrote a groundbreaking book, called Married Women Who Love Women, now in its third edition. We'll talk about that and an array of wonderful stories that Karen has brought to us. Karen, welcome to the Storytellers Microphone. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you on to talk about the array of things that you write, but also to celebrate a third edition of Married Women Who Love Women. Congratulations.
1: It's considered now a classic, so I'm very excited about that. You know, and it's still helping a great many women.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this. It was 25 years ago, a very different point in time, but talk about the impetus to write the book and what the book itself is about.
1: I I would just like to start with, I always had a secret dream of being a writer. And in college, I got my first paper back with a C and I said, what can I do to improve my writing? And the professor said, honey, some people are writers and some aren't, and you're not a writer. And I believed him, didn't pick up a pen for more than 15 years. So I just, I like to share that story so people will know. Don't listen to anyone who says you can't. Everything is possible. listen to your heart. But married women came about because of um, my own personal experience. I was having coffee with my best friend. I looked across the table and I thought, oh my God, I'm in love with this woman. I was married 25 years, had two kids, a great husband. And I didn't know where to turn, who to talk to. And I started writing. What started out as a catharsis for myself I realized there were so many women going through the same kind of discoveries and I'm a pretty gutsy person. And it was the most difficult thing I've gone through. And I realized if I'm that gutsy and uh, and I'm going through it with such difficulty, there's other women needed help. And so my catharsis became my book, which became a catalyst for a great many women. And um, one of the first times I was talking about it This woman comes in clutching the book and sobbing. She said, I would have come through any kind of storm, any kind of weather to tell you, your book saved my life. She had planned her suicide and was on her way home. She thought she had a husband and children, didn't know where to turn, who to talk to. And she thought the best thing she could do for her family was kill herself. And as she was walking home, she passed a bookstore for what she thought would be the very last time. And they were putting my book in the window. And when she saw the title, Married Women Who Love Women, she knew she wasn't the only one. she decided not to kill herself so i'm just the book has touched a great many women like that
0: it has indeed i just um, had the pleasure of interviewing a woman named melissa giberson and she wrote a book called late bloomer and as i was reading her book she was talking about how she was very confused when uh, she found herself married after all these years very attracted to a woman in a way that she had never been attracted to a woman and she talks about finding a book by karen strock and i went my karen struck the karen struck i'm going to be interviewing later on so uh, your book continues even though it is 25 years old continues to um, impact women Um, so this was new information for you i'm sorry this was new information for you when you first came out with your book you Mm -hmm. did not previously have um sexual feelings for women
1: no no But what I've discovered with the, I've interviewed more than a hundred women and at this point, hundreds of women and women fall into four categories. Those like myself who had no idea until they fell in love with another woman, those who had an inkling they were different, but didn't have a name for it. Don't forget, this was in the early nineties and those who knew, but kept it secret because they wanted to be accepted by church and family. And there was a fourth one. They just thought they were different. They had no idea what that meant. So those were the categories. And so this was all very, very new.
0: You talk about categories and I, you know, in the, in the time since you wrote the book, we basically had the homosexual community, then the gay community, then the LGBT community and the LGBTQ plus community um, and categories. Do labels matter?
1: It depends on who you're speaking to. The first book had um, four labels bisexual straight gay, lesbian bisexual straight and gay this last edition has pages and pages of um, what's the word? in the glossary I'm sorry okay long day today but um, I do a workshop at the center so I, that's where I was earlier but um, there are so many labels and people, are finding out that they can truly be who they are. They don't have to take a label that's not them. People used to take the label that was closest to who they thought they were. And they don't have to do that anymore. And everybody wants a voice, everybody wants to be heard. So the last, um, the third uh, edition has a a chapter on transgenders which was not in the other two. And what's interesting is a, a transgender person could be a heterosexual person that realizes she's gay and then she becomes a lesbian. And there's so many varieties that can happen. And now is her wife a lesbian because she has transgendered? So many things to think about, but it's 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 good that they're all coming to the table now.
0: Yes, and I, I agree with you that labels matter Sometimes. I think in some ways it helps us understand the conversation uh, and it also lets us claim a certain identity, if you will, whether you're cisgender or not cisgender. Um, But I I think that labels can sometimes be um, scary things as well. Well, a lot of women in my
1: first edition identified as bisexual because they were married and whether they were being sexually intimate with their husband because they felt they were supposed to be. Many of them were, so they labeled themselves bisexual until they became comfortable enough to realize they weren't. They didn't want to be with men in that way. They wanted to be with women. And so they changed their label to lesbian. But there was a time when, oh gosh, when I was first becoming comfortable with the word, there was no one home. I remember turning on the television and turning on the water faucets and the radio to say the word, because God forbid somebody might hear that word outside. You know so we've come a very long way and it's it's healthy you know the place we're in now
0: Yeah, we've come a long way in terms of um, many ways to talk about sexuality and we've also uh, come a long way in how we want to live our lives regardless of where you are you've chosen to stay legally married to your yes. um, husband
1: we're in a redefined relationship i know him since i'm 16 years old i wouldn't throw him away and he wouldn't throw me away and so we've We've gone through our ups and downs and we've come to, a, a I think, a very comfortable place. My daughter said uh, a while ago, she said, I think you and dad have the best marriage I know because you actually talk to each other. And my kids know about me and, that, you know, they know that I'm out. But I thought that was the most beautiful thing, you know, that she said that. You
0: know. How was that since it was new information for you? Was it also new information for your husband or did he have a sense?
1: Oh no, nobody had a sense. It was it was very new for everybody.
0: Like I How said, we went through
1: ups and downs at the beginning. Sure. Yeah.
0: How did you negotiate that with your partner in order to arrive at a place of acceptance? I, I can't imagine that first conversation.
1: Everybody's situation is different. I had already started writing and I had an introduction to the book, which I was not out. I, I never thought I'd ever be out. And as a matter of fact, I had started an article for Ms. Magazine in third person. And um, the editor who was going to take it had, had gone, so it wasn't it wasn't published. And when I looked at it, it was very dry because it was in third person. And I thought, I need to be honest. It needs to be truthful. And for people to take it honestly, I needed to come out And so I did, you know, I I gave my children actually the introduction to read and I had an individual conversation with each of them. I have two. And my daughter said afterward that she told one of her friends and he came out to her. She was the first person he ever came out to because he felt comfortable because she told him about me. But my husband and I were going through a period, um, my daughter was looking for an apartment, she was thinking of moving, and we didn't want her to think that she had to be taking care of one of us or the other. So we thought, let's not say anything until she settled. And by that time, we kind of started talking and and things sort of worked out for us. But there are women who have told me that they were going to remain in their marriages and they couldn't. And there are women who told me they were going to leave and they wound up staying In the third uh, edition, I also have a chapter called woulda, coulda, shoulda, where I interview women who came out years ago and they have told me if they were happy with with what happened or if they wish they had done things differently. So it's very interesting because no two stories are the same and yet every story is the same in a way.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, this is an important part of your work and certainly one of the things that um, I have found you in the literature uh, as most known for. But you've also written uh, In the Shadow of the Wonder Wheel, uh, an amazing uh, book. You've got another book coming out. Before we go there, I want to go to one of your books, though, um, because as a writer, I'd love to hear your story on this. You wrote A Writer's Journey, What to Know Before, During, and After You Write a Book. Right. So tell us.
1: I was doing workshops for the International Women's Writers Guild, and I was doing one on, on writing, and I was using the experiences I had had with the first book. And so this book includes mistakes I made, what I should have done, what I could have done, and each chapter has an exercise at the end, um, go to a park in, in a different neighborhood and just listen to people talk, you know, hear how they talk, and it just resonated with a lot of people and a lot of people uh appreciated having that book and it also um it helps people to know that they're not alone it answers a lot of questions Uh, things have changed as far as marketing the book goes because more people are self-publishing now but it's still it's it's a good reference book to have Anyway, the reason it started was because I was doing this workshop and people kept coming back. I said, you were here last year. Why are you coming back again? They said, you always wind up with new information. And I realized I did. As I was learning, I was sharing it. And so that's in the book.
0: It's so important for us as uh, authors to share our lessons learned. Uh, It's not an easy world, the world of being an author, both... uh, As you're writing, and then afterwards, you referenced earlier that you know when you were writing "Married Women Who Love Women," that it was important for you to be straightforward and um, clear. And your writing is very much that. Your your writing is direct to the point, and but it is also all over. Uh, let's talk a little bit about genre or not genre.
1: Right, I'm very much an eclectic writer. Um, I write what catches me and each of my books has hooked me in their own. I was doing a workshop and it was on visualization and I saw a woman standing on a rise. And when she turned to the side, she was pregnant. And, uh, that night I was sleeping and the name, Mallory McGill came to me. I don't know why I don't know anyone with a name like that. And I thought I needed to write her story. And the rise turned out to be Coney Island. And that's where, um, in the shadow of the wonder wheel came about. And it was basically this character brought the book to life. Then I have another one that's not yet out. It's waiting at the publishers. It's called the Cahill Ghost, which the the title might change, but I was on the internet and somebody said, who believes in paranormal happenings? And I saw almost immediately more than a hundred people responded. I thought, wow, if they're responding, and I've had several personal experiences And so uh, at one point I was staying at a hotel, the Holiday Inn on Grand Island, and some of the the people that work there were telling me that there's a ghost that lives there. They were telling me her story. And they were telling me that she wore a blue mutton chop dress with high-button boots. Anyway, when I realized I needed to write a story, it was this ghost's story. But I needed to do it in her time period. And when I researched, in the early 1900s, that's what they wore. And so that's how this book came about. And um, I got a lot of information from women and well, from people who had had paranormal experiences. And so it all played into that book. So that's kind of a fun book. Then I did another one. We lived in Buffalo and we moved there right after the blizzard of 77, which I don't know if you remember, but I you couldn't see the stores, the piles mm-hmm. of snow were above yes. the stores. And I thought we were in a cul-de-sac. What would happen? If my children came home and none of the adults were there, the, bus, the school buses brought them home early. And the thing is, in Buffalo, they couldn't have been stranded for long. They It was accessible. So I changed the location to the mountains of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And this young girl had just moved there from New York City. And um, she's stuck in a blizzard. She's babysitting. And the only other person at the top of the mountain is this boy she hates. She's 13, 14, and he's 13 or 14. And they wind up together, responsible for five children during this blizzard for days. And they have no communication with the outside world. And it it came out at a good time. Well, not a good time, it came out during COVID, so it didn't get much play. But it shows how kids could step up to the bat. What did they have to do to survive?
0: So that's a young, that's a YA book? That's a middle
1: grade chapter, chapter book. But whoever has bought it for their children or their grandchildren has said to me, I read it first and I couldn't put it down.
0: Oh, I love reading YA. I just, it's it's so good. So you have written um, In the Shadow of the Wonder Wheel, which just, I love the title. For anybody who's listening who is a New Yorker, the Wonder Wheel is the largest, probably not the largest, but when you're little and you're growing up in New York, the largest Ferris wheel. And it's Mm -hmm. got carts that go in and out. It's it's just an amazing place. And it towers over so many things. So the title is... Yeah, I'm
1: sorry. Now, what happened was the people who read it loved the characters. There's especially, there's a character called Moses. He's a streetwise kid. And when I went to school, I, this was in the first grade, I remember there was a boy that everyone went to him with their questions, with their problems, with to solve everything. And he stayed in my mind all these years. And this became Moses. And he's the, the problem solver. And he helps the detectives find the missing children. And And um, are
0: those the characters that show up in your ghost story?
1: No, no. This is from the, in the shadow of the Wonder Wheel. There's the same people who live in Coney Island.
0: Right. But in your new book, are those characters somehow repeated? I thought that you had some repeating characters.
1: In the new book, in the, um, it's called Who's Watching the Children? That's the second one that takes place in Coney Island. Okay. And I have the same detectives and Moses is there. And the woman and her child, who they were in contact with in the first book is there. So what happened was one of the characters goes to jail. And I always felt badly about that because he did what he did. He didn't start out as a bad man, but life kind of threw him these curves that sucked him into this bad role. So I always felt I wanted to redeem him. So he came out in the second book and he does become redeemed. I'm not going to say who he is or how or what. So it's kind of fun as an author, you know, you just... I I used to say you can make the characters do what you want, but that's not so. My characters tell me what they want to do. They take over.
0: Frequently happens. But you haven't limited your... Go
1: ahead. I'm sorry. I wrote another one called um, Tangled Ribbons. Mm -hmm. And it was a relationship story between two women. And as I'm writing, across the page comes, but I knew that blah, blah, blah. And I thought to myself, who's this I? And I realized she's got a spirit guide. So I gave one of the characters a spirit guide, but then the other character was saying, what about me? What about me? And years ago, when Married Women Who Love Women came out, I did a piece in um, Newsweek, and they sent me some of the, um, the letters they had gotten. And this one woman named Cornelia said, if I found out I was a lesbian after I was married, I'd keep my mouth shut and take it to my grave. And I thought, there's one angry, unhappy woman. And I always remembered her. So in this story, Tangled Ribbons with the Two Women, I made her the other, the other um, spirit guide. And she's out to destroy this relationship. And it's not until the end of the book that we find out why. So uh, she's from a live person. You know, there are a lot of people that just kind of yeah, it's wanted to be no, in the it's, books.
0: It's wonderful when those um, people can come and be transported into your novels. Um, you've also written, however, a cookbook. <laughs> That one, I was living
1: in Buffalo, and I was driving down a country road, and there was a farm stand that was closing, and he had a 50-pound bag of potatoes for $3. I can't resist a bargain, so I stopped for the potatoes. He says, you know, I have three bags. Take them all because I'm closing. And so I came home with 150 pounds of potatoes. And that was the start of that book. I gave my kids bags, and they went all over the neighborhood. to go, They gave potatoes to everyone. And then my neighbors started sending me recipes. And that's how that book came about. I had to put them all together. It's so wonderful. it's all potatoes. It's called um, Potatoes with a Peel.
0: Yes, very clever, very clever. And it has,
1: uh, all, you know, appetizers, desserts, etc., etc., with potatoes. Well, there's
0: so much to find in Karen Strock and her writing. Uh, Karen, what is your website, please?
1: My website is www.karenstrock.com but Karen is C-A-R-R-E-N-S-T-R-O-C-K, My books are all listed, except the new book hasn't been listed yet.
0: Well, congratulations on the new book. And thank you for all that you have done within the author community. And thanks for being here on The Storytellers today. Thank you for doing this. It was my pleasure to be with you. Thanks again. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks again. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.